Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. The show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. As Turin's story comes to an end, we know what happens with him. We know what happens with Neonor, but the rest of the family, their story isn't finished yet. Think about it. What happened to Morwen? The last thing we heard, she was with the group. Remember, she and Neonor were headed out towards Nargothrond in order to go see if they could find Turin. And then she disappears. There's also one other character, and we're getting close. This has been quite the uh, the journey up the mountain. Um, Hurin, their father, is still hanging on the side of the walls of Thangorodrim up on the top of this mountain. It's cold up here. Um, I was concerned we might run across some orcs, but even the orcs don't want to be up on the cold sides of the mountain. So I think we're pretty safe. We're getting close. We're almost there. Now, just a reminder, Hurin has been up on the side of this mountain for a very long time. With the eyes and the sight of Melkor. Yeah, yep. Alright, I think this is... Yeah, this is about as far as we're gonna go. Now, Melkor hasn't forgotten Hurin. Hurin has been one of his favorite pets, and he has just gained... A, well, he lost a dragon, but in the process of doing that, he's definitely enjoyed the torment that he's given to this family that dared to stand against him. The very first line of chapter 22 is So ended the tale of Turin Turumbar, but Morgoth did not sleep nor rest from evil, and his dealings with the house of Hador were not yet ended. If you thought that we finished up the story of Turin, the children of Hurin, and that things are going to get a little bit better here. Well, not yet. Alright, I'm off the side of the mountain, and it's a good thing, too, because 
Well, I'll point out the reason in just a moment. Let's get back to the text. The next line after that, the second line says, Against them his malice was unsated, though Hurin was under his eye, and Morwen wandered distraught in the wild. Immediately we're given two things. First of all, Hurin is still under his eye. He's sitting there enjoying his torment. But also, Morwen is alive. She's wandering in the wild and has been for a considerable amount of time. And immediately again, we are reminded about Hurin's situation. Unhappy was the lot of Hurin. He's not a he's not a happy guy. You wouldn't be either hanging from this freezing mountainside. And all that Morgoth knew of the working of his malice, Hurin knew also. Remember, he has the sight of Morgoth. But lies were mingled with the truth, as is always Morgoth's way. And aught that was good was hidden or distorted. So Hurin saw the terrible things that happened, but the things that you could say were successes, the slaying of a dragon, Glarung's death, was a bit distorted. He didn't quite understand the full measure of what had happened. And on top of that, Morgoth was not done messing with him. In all ways, Morgoth sought most to cast an evil light on those things that Thingol and Melian had done, for he hated them and feared them. When therefore he judged the time to be ripe, he released Hurin from his bondage, bidding him go whither he would, and he feigned that in this he was moved by pity, as for an enemy utterly defeated. But he lied, for his purpose was that Hurin should still further his hatred for elves and men ere he die. What is he up to? What is Morgoth's plan in this? Can you imagine? Can you imagine being Hurin up on the side of this mountain and watching the tragedy unfold of your children, their last breaths. And then Morgoth shows back up and he goes, Oh, Hurin, how tragic. Well, you clearly are at the lowest point you've ever been, old man, because he is old at this point, or at least he looks considerably older. Maybe it's time I let you go. Maybe I'll have pity on you and let you live out the last few days you have left. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose wasn't to actually pity him. He didn't care. Morgoth has a plan. And Hurin knows it. It says in the very next line, Then little, though he trusted the words of Morgoth, knowing indeed that he was without pity, Hurin took his freedom and went forth in grief embittered by the words of the Dark Lord. And a year was now gone since the death of Turin, his son. It has been a year, and yet he is released. So, of course, he takes that. He doesn't want to hang out on the side of this mountain anymore. He, sure, 
let me go make up whatever reason it is you want to let me go but okay i'm done now this is a situation that is different than we have seen before we don't usually see morgoth release prisoners back out into the world unless there's a reason and in previous situations where he hung people on the sides of the mountain they had to be cut off by somebody saving them and in this case that hasn't happened. Nobody has come to Hurin's aid. He is all alone. Now, we, we are given a time frame here. It says, for 28 years, he had been captive in Angband. 28 years. 28 years up on the side of that mountain. First of all, that's incredible. Secondly, it gives us a sense of possibly how old he would be at this point. He was... A young enough man to be fighting in the Narniath Arnoidiad, which was roughly 28 years previous to this, right? So if he was in his young 20s, maybe 30s at that point, at the oldest, he's in his 50s here, maybe 60s at the most. So he's an older man by this point, but he could be. 55 years old he's not he's not 70 80 90 years old at this point he's he doesn't look like gandalf yet except he kind of does these 28 years have been really rough on him it says his hair and beard were white and long i would imagine he hasn't had a haircut in 28 years so he does kind of have that gandalf thing going on long white hair long beard He's been aged by the weather and the stress, so he looks even older than he is. But remarkably, it also notes that he walked unbowed, bearing a great black staff, and he was girt with a sword. What can we make of this? First of all, he is a noble human. He is a noble man. And even if he was in pain and physically not the person that he was before, he stood upright and used a cane to do so and was also girt with a sword. These are items that Morgoth gave to him on his way out. Now, he didn't come in with a cane and maybe would have gotten his old sword back. I doubt it. He was given some supplies in order to get back out into the world. And not only was he given supplies, he was escorted. Morgoth sent a contingent of orcs in order to, first of all, get him down. Morgoth wasn't going to do that himself. And then walk him back out into the world, back to the south. Now, we are told here that he passes into Hithlam, which we've talked a lot about, and tidings came to the chieftains of the Easterlings that there was a great riding of captains and black soldiers of Angband over the sands of Onfogleth. That word is hard to pronounce. Onfogleth. And they came with an old man, one that was held in high honor. Now, if this is the case, if you are one of the Easterlings, one of the men of Hithlam, and I use men here to mean humans, this is how Tolkien speaks. So the, the humans of, of Hithlam, the, the, the not elves, the, the men, 
And you see this contingent of orcs coming at you. And among them, your scouts are reporting at the front is a human held in high honor. You're probably thinking this is a traitor. This is somebody who has been working with the Dark Lord and has earned a place of honor to be riding at the front of a group of orcs. What is going on? What, who is this and why are they coming? And so word spreads out. People start talking about who, who is this high Lord of a, of a white haired man at the front of this group. But the orcs do not attack. They are simply escorting him. And so the people of Hithlam let them pass because they're not looking for conflict here. We are told that they let him walk at will in their lands in which they were wise for the remnant of his own people shunned him because of his coming from Angband as one in league and honor with Morgoth. They thought he was of the enemy and didn't recognize him. And this hurt. Hurin had spent 28 years up on the side of a mountain, and when he finally returns home, this increases the, this is what Tolkien says, it increases the bitterness in Hurin's heart. So he leaves Hithlam and heads up into the mountains. Now we have to remember, what did Hurin do before he was captured by Morgoth? He was one of the only humans to have seen Gondolin, the hidden city up in the mountains, to speak with Turgon. And Turgon had helped him. Turgon was told that somebody from the house of Hador would bring blessings to his, his kingdom, would help him in a time of need. And so if Hurin's own people shun him and don't remember him, Maybe his old friend will, but maybe this is exactly what Morgoth was hoping for. This passage right here says, he desired to come again to the hidden realm of Gondolin. He went down, therefore, from Arid Wethrin, and he knew not that the creatures of Morgoth watched all his steps. At this point, he has been released by the, the group of orcs. They've let him go, but they've maintained watch. And if it wasn't originally that same group anymore, it was other spies, enemies. People were watching, or creatures even, were watching. And crossing over the Brithiash, he passed into Dimbar and came to the dark feet of Ekoriath. All the land was cold and desolate, and he looked about him with little hope, standing at the foot of a great fall of stones beneath a sheer rock wall, and he knew not that this was all that was now left to see of the old way of escape. The dry river was blocked, and the arched gate was buried. Then Hurin looked up at the gray sky, thinking that he might once more decry the eagles, as he had done long ago in his youth, but he only saw the shadows blown from the east and clouds swirling about the inaccessible peaks. 
and he heard only the wind hissing over the stones. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, a anniversary diamond orb gear a bunch of other items it is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code maxpool m-a-x-p-o-o-l maxpool don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to marvel strike force for sponsoring this episode everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, this is the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons for being so, so wonderful. I'm going to use the word wonderful. I use awesome all the time. I'm going to use wonderful, wonderful patrons for helping to support the show, keep it going, supporting me. I really appreciate it. And let's let's do our shout outs. We've got some new ones, Thomas H and Sylvia E and Joshua L and Robin H and that's it those are our new patrons i always my eyes continue to scroll and then and there's nothing there um so thank you for your support and for signing up and a big shout out to our vip patrons Bo, brad s brandy d chewbacca david m drupal esoteric rage jesse p capenna larry obi-wan kenobi patrick w sam b shannon l tyler m and wes p thank you for all of your support all we're at 197 three away you might be the 200th patron if you go to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R Lorecast and check out what you can get, which includes a whole host, uh, like a year's worth of bonus episodes at this point. So if you're looking for more content, there's absolutely a way to get it. And those episodes are much more, more personal. They're more conversational. This the main episodes are me in storyteller mode for the most part. And those episodes are more of me and you sitting there contemplating concepts and ideas and, and sharing our thoughts about things. They're a little more speculative, a little bit more out on the edges of, of thoughts and, and concepts and things like that. And uh, recently we had a really good episode last week where I answered some of your questions. I've gotten some new questions again this week and some comments, and I'm going to dig into them, including one in particular about the whole pairing of elves and men and how it's always seems to be a female elf and a male man. Did I just say male man, male human? There really needs to be a better word for that, which I should just try and say human all the time. 
And uh, but it, are there any of the opposite? And uh, in fact, there is. And I'm going to go over that in the bonus episode. So if you're interested in that, check that out. Sign up on Patreon and, uh, you know, get some uh, get some bonus episodes, get some ad free episodes, all of that kind of stuff. All right. I've been going on too long about that. Well, I need to read out our new review. This comes from Nade Monkey. This is on Apple Podcasts, which, by the way, if you leave a five star review, I will read out in a future episode. Nade Monkey says best out there. I listen on Spotify, but had to give a review on here to support the gold of this podcast. Thank you, Nade Monkey. That's awesome. Thank you for taking the time to jump over to the other platform and leave a review. That is extremely helpful. Speaking of Spotify, Spotify now has a feature that is slowly updating on everybody's apps on your phones that if you listen on Spotify or if you want to go look it up on Spotify, you can pull up the episode and you will see a question on all the new episodes that says, what did you think about this episode? And you can leave a response. So if you would like to leave positive comments on there about the things you like about each of the episodes, that would be amazing. Now, that means that we're going to get a lot of those. So I can't read those all out on the show, especially because it's on a per episode level rather than just a per show review. So it's kind of their way of doing a review, but it's more like the comment system on YouTube. So leave some comments. I'd love to, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'll, I will be reading and checking in on these. And, um, you know, if, if, <laughs> if I've helped you get through your day and you want to leave me a warm fuzzy in response, that would be amazing because your, your comments and your positivity fuels me. Absolutely. It, it can turn my day around. So thank you for all of your support. Let's get back to the story because this is getting good. So we clearly know now some of what Morgoth intended to happen by letting Hurin go. Hurin knows where Gondolin is. Hurin might lead Morgoth to Gondolin. Gondolin is the only hidden kingdom left. There's no Nargothrond. There's only Gondolin and Doriath. Morgoth knows where Doriath is. He just can't get in there yet. But he has no sense of where Gondolin is. Where did Turgon go? Where is this whole other kingdom of elves? And part of it is because the eagles have been flying over this section of mountains, guarding it from any watchful eyes from above. Also, like was stated before the break, they've cut off any access to the outside world. The old passageways through these tunnels and things have been locked down. They just look like places where a bunch of rocks fell and there's nothing to see. And the eagles notice. The eagles notice Hurin looking up at the sky, trying to find a way back into Gondolin. And a conversation happens. It says here, but the watch of the great eagles was now redoubled and they marked Hurin well far below, forlorn in the fading light. And straight away, Thorondor, remember Thorondor, the Lord of the Eagles himself, since the tidings seemed great, brought word to Turgon. And Turgon said, and maybe I should pronounce it Turgon, Turgon. It's, I start, I sound like the Swedish chef if I say it like that. Turgon. Um, I, I don't think I'm going to do that. So I'm just going to say Turgon, Turgon. I'm going to add a little bit of a ooh in there. Uh, Turgon says, 
does Morgoth sleep? You were mistaken. Not so, says Thorondor, meaning like there's no way Morgoth let him go. Not so, says Thorondor. If the eagles of Manway were wont to err thus, then long ago, Lord, your hiding would have been in vain. Basically, if if I if I wasn't good at this, if I couldn't recognize something I'm seeing at a distance because I have the eyes of a great eagle, then we would have failed you a long time ago. Then your words bode ill, said Turgan, for they can bear but one meaning. Even Hurin Thalion has surrendered to the will of Morgoth. My heart is shut. He thinks that Hurin has now decided to work with Morgoth, and so that's why Morgoth let him out. But then Thorander was gone. Turgan sat long in thought, and he was troubled, remembering the deeds of Hurin of Dor Loman. And he opened his heart and sent to the eagles to seek for Hurin and to bring him, if they might, to Gondolin. So at this point, he's like, no, no, I know this man. This is a good man. We should reach out to him. He is not a spy of the enemy. We should go reach out to him. But it was too late. And they never saw him again in light or in shadow. This is one of those... uh, foreshadowing moments that you know we've talked about this Tolkien likes to sprinkle these in there so Hurin decides to leave he leaves the the cliff face that he was at and we're given this really interesting description here it says for Hurin stood in despair before the silent cliffs of Ekoriath and the westering sun piercing the clouds stained his white hair with red The sunset was casting this red color onto his hair. Then he cried aloud in the wilderness, heedless of any ears, and he cursed the pitiless land. And standing at last upon a high rock, he looked toward Gondolin and called in a great voice, Turgon, Turgon, remember the fen of Sarich. O Turgon, will you not hear in your hidden halls? But there was no sound save the wind in the dry grasses. Even so, they hissed in Sarich at the sunset, he said. And as he spoke, the sun went behind the mountains of shadow, and a darkness fell about him, and the wind ceased, and there was silence in the waste. These words were not to nobody. He was directing them to Turgan. Turgan couldn't hear the words. But like mentioned before, Morgoth's spies were watching and listening. And in this moment, they saw the direction. They heard the name Turgon. And they knew that he was addressing the location of Gondolin. And in this moment, they had a little bit more information for where Gondolin might actually be. Now, let's talk about the fading of the light. There's definitely symbolism there. Light is good. The westering of the light, the lowering of the sun, the casting of the red hue is ominous. And it's no coincidence that as soon as Hurin utters these words, the light fails and darkness covers him. This was a dark deed brought about by grief and the terrible burden that Hurin has carried up to this point. 
He's finally been let go and he's found no friends. He's found no welcome and he's desperately alone at this point. It says here, as darkness fell, Hurin stumbled from the rock and fell into a heavy sleep of grief. But in his sleep, he heard the voice of Morwen lamenting. And often she spoke his name, and it seemed to him that her voice came out of Brethil. He gets a vision. Well, not so much a vision, but a sounding? I don't know what to call a vision that you hear. And he has a sense that she might be out there still. So he heads back to Brethil. And then we get this. Therefore, when he awoke, with the coming of day, he arose and went back to Brithiach. And passing along the eaves of Brethil, he came at a time of night to the crossings of Teglin. We were just at the crossings of Teglin. This is where Turin's story ended. The night sentinels saw him, but they were filled with dread, for they thought that they saw a ghost out of some ancient battle mound that walked with darkness about it. And therefore, Hurin was not stayed, and he came at last to the place of the burning of Galarung. Let's pause here. First of all, this is a reference to battle mounds and the idea that you can have a barrow, a burial mound, that has the bodies of the dead and the unfinished dead, I guess the the dead who have not passed on yet, can linger as ghosts. Where have we seen this before? The Barrow Whites, right? They thought Hurin might be a Barrow White. And so they let him be. They do not approach at night. Also, he walked with darkness about him. He has been tainted. And it's not that he's choosing to do evil, but the evil is holding on to him, is the image we're getting. It goes with him as if it was something almost physically shrouding him. And he gets to the place of the burning of Glarung, and it goes on and says, And saw the tall stone standing near the brink of Cabid Neramarth. But Hurin did not look at the stone, for he knew what was written there. Remember, he saw the things that Morgoth wanted him to see. That was the gravestone. That was Turin's gravestone. And his eyes had seen that he was not alone. Standing in the shadow of the stone, there was a woman, bent over her knees. And as Hurin stood there, Silent, she cast back her tattered hood and lifted her face. Gray she was, and old, but suddenly her eyes looked into his, and he knew her. For though they were wild and full of fear, that light still gleamed in them that long ago had earned her the name Elidwin, proudest and most beautiful of mortal women in the days of old. As a reminder, Elidwin means elf sheen or elf fair, elven fair. She was beautiful like an elf, even though she was human. And the more you understand about Morwen and Hurin, the more you begin to understand 
their children and how, for example, Turin could have been mistaken for an elf. He was Morwen's child. And in this moment, for the first time in almost three decades, these two are brought back together. You come at last, she said. I have waited too long. It was a dark road. I have come as I could, he answered. But you are too late, said Morwen. They are lost. I know it, he said. But you are not. But Morwen said, Almost. I am spent. I shall go with the sun. Now little time is left. If you know, tell me. How did she find him? But Hurin did not answer, and they sat beside the stone and did not speak again. And when the sun went down, Morwen sighed and clasped his hand and was still. And Hurin knew that she had died. He looked down at her in the twilight, and it seemed to him that the lines of grief and cruel hardship were smoothed away. She was not conquered, he said, as he closed her eyes, and sat unmoving beside her as the night drew down. The waters of Cabid Naramarth roared on, and he heard no sound, and he saw nothing and felt nothing, for his heart was stone within him. But there came a chill wind that drove sharp rain into his face, and he was roused. And anger rose in him like smoke, mastering reason, so that all his desire was to seek vengeance for his wrongs and for the wrongs of his kin, accusing in his anguish all those who ever had dealings with them. Then he rose up, and he made a grave for Morwen, above Cabid Niramarth, on the west side of the stone, and upon it he cut these words. Hurin is at the site where he has lost his entire family. Both of his children he was able to witness from afar, and in the very moment that he rediscovers his wife, that she's alive, she finally came to the burial place of her children, most likely both of them. But again, we don't necessarily know where Neonor's body ended up. But this is Turin's burial site. And coincidentally ran into her husband who had been let free. And in that moment, as the sun rises, life leaves her body. Can you imagine Hurin's despair at all of this? Now we're given one more paragraph before I let you go. It says this. It is told that a seer and harp player in Brethil named Glirhuin made a song saying that the stone of the hapless should not be defiled by Morgoth nor ever thrown down. Not though the sea should drown all the land as after indeed befell and still toll Morwen, that's the name of this mound where their, their bodies are, are buried, stands alone in the water beyond the new coasts 
that were made in the days of the wrath of the Valar. But Hurin does not lie there, for his doom drove him on, and the shadow still followed him. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.